Hey, this week on the Horror Podcast, we're talking about a million little pieces, meth, public service announcements, addiction, recovery, and resolution by Benson and Moorhead. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of The Horror Pod Class. My name is Tyler, and by day, I am a mild-mannered school teacher. And by night, I am a superhero who fights people on Twitter while trying to pretend that my life has meaning. Thankfully, to keep myself from contemplating my own demise, I have this great podcast and Signal Horizon, a media corporation devoted to the academic side of horror, all run with my buddy Mike over here, who's been fighting on Facebook with me. Hey, Mike, what's going on, buddy? <laughs> yeah, man. I don't fight on Twitter because I'm not exactly sure how to use it. But, uh, <laughs> if, you know, I fight, on, fight with people on Facebook mainly because uh, I can't figure out how to unfriend people. So just <laughs> pissing them off is easier than actually lear- learning how to unfriend them. It's like the national pastime now. So, it, you know, is, like, it is. It yeah. is. <laughs> Welcome to 2018. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait till it becomes an extreme sport. Uh, but hey, in other big news this week, for the first time, and as we're recording this right now, for the first time in years, Trump is back in prime time, and as a horror podcast, we got to cover that horror show, right? <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you don't want to live tweet it. No, it's uh, it's 22% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I'm staying Ooh. way the fuck mm. away from that thing. All right, man. Well, hey, what have you been interested in? What have you been watching? What have you been reading? What's up? Oh, yeah. So I just got done reading uh, probably my favorite book of the last six months. Okay. Really? Mm. It is Moon of Crusted Snow by... Uh, in, it's a native, like it's a first people's name, so bear with me as I butcher this thing, okay? Mm-hmm. So the name of the book is Moon of Crusted Snow by Wagishig Rice, and it's so good. It is not horror in the traditional sense, but it's like post-apocalyptic, mm-hmm. um, but takes place entirely on a first people's reservation in Canada. So it's way up north. It has some really interesting things to say about uh, Canadians relationships with native, uh, you know, uh, native, the native people there. Um, And it's, it's not the most complex story and it's not like taking the, the post-apocalyptic environment in a completely different like route. But what it does do is offer us this different setting. And I would, the book is a really quick read. It's like 200 pages or something, but it's entirely worth it to get to this chapter where the main character, who's a younger native is talking to one of the elders. And she's like, everybody on the reservation is, is uh, saying that this is Armageddon. I don't know what that word is. Right. And he like explains that it's like the end of the world. And that means everybody's going to die and the end of, you know, whatever. And she's like, I don't understand what everybody's worried about. That happened to us two or 300 years ago. And we're Hmm. still here. And it's like, God, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I think that is the interesting and different perspective. So like, it's, it's, it's a great book. You got to check it out. I like it. I like it. Is Uh, it, it, where, where can people find it? Is that is that right now? Is it? Yes, uh, it's out right now, and you can check it. Uh, you can find it on Amazon if you just type in "Moon of Crusted Snow." Uh, I'm sure you can get it, and it is. I'll tell you the publisher in two seconds, but it came recommended to me from a couple of old buddies from high school that know that I am kind of into Native American stuff. So it you can get it from ECW Press. It's a very small press. Uh, you know, like it, it, it just is, it's well worth your read. So check it out. Awesome. But yeah, get it off of Amazon. We'll put it, we'll put a link in the show notes. That'd be great. Uh, on a much <laughs> less exciting note, uh, I saw um, Escape Room and it was okay. It was worth the price of admission. It had some fun set pieces. My review is out already. 
on Signal Horizon, but it's 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 okay. Like if you got a free evening and an AMC gift card, which I had both, mm-hmm. then check it, check it out. All right. And then my wife, who hates horror stuff, uh, was like, "Let's watch Sharp Objects," and I'm like, "Okay, sounds great." And we binged that in like a day and a half, mm. and it's all she can talk about. Like she is, and I gotta tell you, it's it's so good. But man, is it dark! Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I really like all of her stuff. Um, has uh, has your wife read read anymore, Jillian Flynn? I mean, uh, we both read um, oh Gone Girl, mm-hmm. but we haven't read anything other than you know other than that. So mm. this was kind of our first experience. There, there's another good one that I liked. Uh, it, I think it's called Dark Places. I really like Dark, Dark Places. I thought that was really good. It's cool. got some. It's got some cool uh, uh, stuff about Kansas City. Oh, oh sweet. Yeah. All right. So yeah, and uh, and some uh, um, uh, satanic panic type type uh, themes in it. So yeah, really cool. You, you know, I'm a sucker for some satanic panic. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, isn't that isn't that what like you know Tuesday night in your house is usually like Satanic Panic night? Anyways, well, right. <laughs> we go back and we make up stories about uh, how <laughs> about your neighbors. Yes, and and our past babysitters and yeah. how they made us sacrifice our <laughs> unknown brothers and sisters. I got yeah. nothing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, yeah. That's that's super cool. I really like Sharp Objects. I I I love everything that that she does and. Uh, mm-hmm. She's, uh, I think she's one of the only authors that, that I read that's kind of in that, in that genre of, um, I don't know, kind of that mystery thriller, thriller genre. So yeah, yeah definitely, mm-hmm. definitely thriller, you know, mm-hmm. horror adjacent. I, I'd argue, man, there are some pretty horrific elements, certainly of the series. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's good stuff. What about mm-hmm. you, Mike? What have you been up to? Oh, um, Ashes and Entropy review out probably one of the best uh horror anthologies of uh last year 2018 it came in just under the wire of being released in 2018 but uh, some really great stuff in there a great table of contents check it out in the show notes uh there'll be a link to my review uh this is one if you read short horror gotta have it right uh right now i'm reading uh the sound of building coffins by a guy named uh, and i'm gonna uh, probably butcher his name, uh, Louis Maestros. Sounds good to me. Maestros. Yeah. Okay. And, um, it is really interesting. It is set in, uh, New Orleans. Yes. In, um, kind of the couple different times, but kind of like in the jazz era, um, maybe a little bit before and, uh, really, really interesting, I would say, and I don't use this very often, it's definitely, it's got this kind of magical realism feel to it, and it is, you'll kind of appreciate this, it is one of many things that I have I have read very recently that has to do with, like, uh, that has a lot of elements of folk Catholicism in it. Interesting. Yeah, okay. so um, I've just been kind of running across, you know, a lot of that, a lot of the um, uh, Santa Muerte and... Um, this particular book has some some kind of voodoo stuff in it, um, and uh, there's there's a lot about uh, there's a couple of stories. I think there's two stories in um, a collection that I just that I just read about Gaucho Gill. So, anyways, very very interesting. You you know yeah. how I feel about Santa Muerte. So. Yeah, yeah. What what story am I going to mention? Oh, uh, you're going to mention West of Madame Morris, North of Hell, right? Yes, which is uh, apparently my Ligotti, (laughs) because I mention it every episode. But yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. there's some Santa Santa Muerte stuff in that, for sure. Yeah. All right, man. So, uh, free stuff on the internet. Yeah, I think you have today's Dark Corners, right? And it involves one of my favorite authors of all time. Yeah, so... You, I know you like Borges. You actually got me to read Borges probably about, what, like almost 20 years ago? Oh, um, Jesus. Thanks for making me feel a yeah, thousand years yeah. old. But yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I like, I, I, I love Borges. And, uh, it, you know, talk about a, a writer that really has like some literary chops that has mm-hmm. been read by a whole lot of people, is super smart, has read a ton of 
other authors, and has has really had a had a had a big influence on the genres that we like, especially horror and weird fiction. Even though I wouldn't categorize him as as one of those authors, um, I think that his his influences go run deep into uh, into the stuff that we like. Is that yeah. is that I, fair? Yeah, I wouldn't classify him as horror, but man. I don't know if there's any way not to read Borges as weird with a capital W. With a capital know, like, W, yeah. I mean, I yeah. just don't. I, yeah. I would. I would. I would. Hes- I would hesitate to. I, I mean, I would hesitate to, to to do that. But he's definitely had huge influences in in weird fiction. But what I've got for you today is Borges was a lot of his stuff was published in the New Yorker. Um, it was okay. uh, when, when it was it was first um, translated into English. It, would, it was published in the New Yorker, so a lot of his short stories first appeared there. Anyways, the New Yorker has a podcast that is awesome called the New Yorker Fiction Podcast. Okay, and okay. what they what they do is they have a an author come in who's written something you know a pretty pretty big author come in and they say hey. Go through the New Yorker back catalog of fiction, pick a story, read it, and then we're going to discuss it. And cool. it is fantastic. And there are four Borges stories on there. Wow. Awesome. Yes. yes. So originally I was going to say um, one of my favorites is Book of Sand. Okay. And okay. Uh, um, uh, Mosin Hamid uh, 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 reads that one and then discusses it. But there's another one that I never read, or I, I, or I don't remember reading it. Um, and I'll put a, put a link in the show notes. It is um, the Gospel of Mark, I think. Mm. I think it's the Gospel of Mark, and it is some straight up horror. Cool. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Link link to that stuff. I'm I'm dying to revisit some Borges. It's been too long, man. Yeah, and what what I love is the um is the discussion at the end is so cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Particularly if the narrator is another author, then it's somebody that can bring something to that conversation. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Too cool. Great find, Mikey. Very good. And a special shout out to the New Yorker. Uh my my only hope is as we go and look these up <laughs> there is not a cartoonist that has <laughs> drawn a cartoon that goes along with the weird fiction of Jorge Louis Borges. Cause uh, like what, what the hell I can't imagine the bizarreness that would be uh, that particular cartoon, but Hey, whatever. Yeah, it is yeah. what it is. Um, yeah, man. Pretty cool. What do you say? We, uh, we talk some Benson and Moorhead. Let's do it. I love I love Benson and Moorhead. I love I love I love these two movies. I think we're going to talk about um, we're we're definitely talking a lot about resolution. Right? Yep, resolution, and then I yeah I, I think just kind of by nature we have to tie in uh, you know our conversation to uh, their latest movie called The Endless. Okay, so, so what we're going to do is we're going to ring the spoiler bell, and there's going to be spoilers for both of those movies. Both of those movies. Both so of if those you, movies. You haven't seen those movies? Go check them out right now. All right, and before the spoiler bell, just to get everybody in the in the zone, what is going to be our essential question today? Absolutely, our essential question uh, today will be: Does the 2012 movie Resolution accurately display the different stages of rehabilitation, and what does it have to say about addiction? Awesome. Let's ring that bell. All right, so when you first pitched this one to me, I immediately thought, man, there is not a lot of horror about addiction. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, I, I think there are different, like, the bottom line is drugs and, and alcohol abuse and that kind of stuff has always been an element that, horror movie directors and writers have used to like, I don't know, uh, to, to make a killer seem more justified in their actions. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's oh, always, definitely. you know, it's always the, the pot smoking campers that get, get whacked, mm-hmm. but there aren't necessarily a ton of movies. And there is even less in the world of, of like critical engagement with horror movies 
that speaks to the power and the damage that can be done with addiction. So we, we were really excited to examine some of those issues today and maybe see how resolution deals with some of that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I was thinking of some other ways that kind of genre fiction uses, um, uses horror. I mean, I'm sorry, the genre fiction uses addiction. Um, you know, immediately kind of one of the things that kind of is, is that you can, you know, a, a, a character can be addicted and that gives them addicted to a drug and that gives them a way to like, that gives them something to overcome. Right. Sure. That gives them, that gives them like, um, a, a way to like later become heroic. You know, right. Um, to I'm, show growth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Or, 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 or to show that they're going to be untrustworthy or something like that. You yeah. know, like I'm thinking like, absolutely. Oh, what do you know? Like that, that, uh, the, the Vin Diesel movie where his eyes were all, uh, were all mirry, uh, perfect dark, pitch, pitch, pitch uh, black, pitch black, yeah. pitch black. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, Great I think movie. one of the, one of the guys, uh, addict in that one, you know, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I and Yes, I, I agree with what you're saying. It, it is used as a device, but it is rarely the focal point. Exactly. And, uh, in, in that way, I think there's a real missed opportunity because if you look at the, the, the damage that addiction does to people on a pretty regular basis, like it's, it's horrific. It's, it's as scary and, and, you know, as terrifying as anything. So and, and it is prolific in our society. Oh, very right? much so. Right. So I mean, far more prolific than like serial killers, right? Think about how many horror books and what, just how much stuff out there there's about serial killers. Okay. Yeah. And compare that to how much there is about in addiction and how many people a year are killed by addiction and how many you know families are you know affected by it and how many relationships are destroyed versus serial killers so yeah you know i mean um i think it, do, do, you, do you have any ideas on maybe why that is i don't know i think um i i think addiction is complex right and mm-hmm. what goes into creating it what goes into uh treating it uh are are full of really complex themes and and topics and it would probably be really hard to totally flesh all of that out plus i mean i think it is so prolific i think maybe people take it for granted and because maybe so many people deal with it it's less of the horrifying and more of the mundane scary Hmm. So like part of part of fear, right, is the unknown. I, I mean, I think there are a lot of people that either personally struggle with it or have family members that struggle with it. And as such, maybe it's not as unknown. I don't know. I'm kind of hmm. talking out my ass on this, but. Well, I mean, that's that's what we expect. That's what that's what that's what everybody <laughs> expects is us to talk Sweet. out our asses. I, so, I mean, my 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 view on it is that it is um, it is an internal problem and our society has decided that. If you're an addict, you can just, it's basically weak will. Like you could just will yourself to get better, right? Like you could, there's, there's that thread that runs through basically every discussion about drug use, right? It's like you could, well, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could just, you know, and like that can, and therefore it puts all the onus on the addict and there, and that doesn't make, um, for an engaging character because, um, because then their addiction is simply like their weak will, right? Yeah, so, I, I, I totally yeah. buy that. Yeah. So and, and there, there's no like external actor, you know. So, anyways, yeah. Um, a couple of short horror stories that I gotta give a shout out about. The first one is it's called The Gray Room. It's by Tim Wagoner, and it is oh cool. It is fantastic. Have you ever read any of his stuff? I think I have, yeah. I, I, the name sounds really familiar, so yeah. I think he might have had something in Lost Films or Lost Highways, maybe. Mm-hmm, I believe, I believe so. He's 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 a name that I see kind of cropping up, kind of again and again. He's got the first uh, story in Ashes and Entropy, and uh, it's about some uh, some addicts that take a um, a really like Lagadian turn, and it has. It's not just the use of addiction that you find in 
uh, normal kind of fiction, right? Normal horror fiction or normal crime fiction or whatever, where the addict is like, you know, like the, the addicts are a, a, a archetype. Like I, I'm immediately thinking about the, um, the guy in the wire, Oh right. yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like it's like they have this like role that they play out, and like that's that, right? Here they are the the the, the addicts are a very uh, central. It, it's a central focus, and the focus of the story and the horror of the story comes from a type of addiction. Um, it's very very good, very good. Cool. I mean, a right. per- perfect opener. And the other one is a book that I have not read yet, uh, but it's on my to be read pile. It's called Garden of Fiends: Tales of Addiction Horror, and uh, yeah, it's got um, it's got some some good names. It's got uh, a story by Jack Ketchum in it, and it's got something by Max Booth the Third, who I like his stuff too. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. it is great stuff. Interesting, I love that, yeah. and very timely to the conversation. Good call. Mm-hmm. So to turn our discussion now to how addiction is portrayed in the movie Resolution, let us offer uh, a brief summary here. Uh, The Internet Movie Database offers us this very, very quick summary. A man imprisons his estranged junkie friend in an isolated cabin in the boonies of San Diego to force him through a week of sobriety. But the events of that week are being mysteriously manipulated. Sure. I guess that's as good as any. Um, Yeah. yeah. So first off, um, is this uh, is is chaining your junkie friend to a radiator inside of an isolated cabin is that a good way to start a uh an intervention um i mean the answer the answer is the, <laughs> the answer is no i mean you could totally do that to me if i ever become strung out on meth then fucking lock my happy ass to a radiator and beat me into submission yeah i mean i think it i think that um and i i in the 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 friend who is not um who's not the addict uh mike is mike and chris right um so mike i think is um purposely like is is portrayed as doing this for like a good reason but in but he he is i think kind of kind of miss um I don't know, kind of misinformed about drug yeah. addiction because his whole thing is like, well, if you can just be clean for a couple of days, right, right then that is going to mean that you're going to be able to think clearly and then get into recovery, which I think is not particularly well uh, documented as as, <laughs> no. as being a, a, a as being efficacious. Yeah, no, like, and and that's the bottom line, right? Like jo- all joking aside, when most professionals and folks deal with this particular issue, like simply forcing someone to be clean and and to detox, right. Doesn't solve the underlying psychosis that comes with needing that drug and, and potentially needing the, the ritual of all of that drug use and that, and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Which, which is why the folks at, um, crchealth.com, have put together this handy list of uh, the five stages of recovery. Okay. So we have the addiction that is, that has taken place and we'll probably cover that more in depth in just a minute, but there are five stages. So our, our task today is to see if we actually go through those five stages of recovery to see if, you know, our boy Chris is really going to get clean. So number one, awareness and early acknowledgement. Okay, so what, so what, what happens during awareness and early acknowledgement? Uh, the person that is addicted mm-hmm. uh, admits that they are addicted and uh, starts to be, uh, you know, starts to get honest with how it is affecting their relationships and their lives, and is aware of the repercussions of their drug use. Hmm. Okay. Well, so I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to kind of add something in. I think that they, the awareness and early acknowledgement section is very inwardly focused, right? That's when somebody says, you know, I have, I have a problem. I'm aware of this problem. Um, these are the reasons why I think that I have a problem. I think yep. that the second stage of consideration is where that shifts from 
the internal to the outside. It's like, oh, you know, th- this is where they begin to look, you know, beyond them themselves. Sure. And, and, you know, see other, you know, see the ramifications. And then because they're looking outside themselves can then start to look for maybe solutions outside of themselves, because that's the real, I think, I think that's one of the real cores of addiction treatment is that, is that, you know, this is not the first time that, uh, that Chris has probably tried to go clean. Right. Sure. I mean, he's probably I think that's, that's fair. I mean, he's probably tried to do it himself a hundred times before, and he's always failed. And um, so, obviously, that inward looking has not has not helped. I don't think that he actually even gets to step one until probably. I wrote down fifty two minutes in. Okay. Is there a particular conversation that you highlight? You know, there is. And, and, and as, as, as I went through, I kept, you know, oh, you know, I think, I think this is, I think this is Chris's moment. And then it wasn't right. It's like, oh, I think this is Chris's moment. And then it wasn't. And I think that, I think really the, the 52 minute mark, um, it's kind of there. And then I think maybe he loses it. And then I don't think, I don't think he really gets there until maybe, maybe 113 even. I know. Let's. Okay. I'm. I'm. I'm going to play a clip from 113. I will never go to rehab ever. Please, just let me kill myself the way that I want to kill myself. I appreciate all the stuff you're doing for me, man. But as my friend, you gotta just let me go. Okay, so 113 is kind of when they have this heart to heart and um, they see uh, the the photo uh, or the slide of Chris in the coffin. Okay. And, yeah. and, and, and he gets unlocked and they kind of have this heart to heart. And like, I think that I don't think he really even gets to stage one until then. Okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. So the third step then is exploring recovery which as i understand it is the idea that uh there is a future and that future is without drugs and they can you know i say drugs but you know people have addictions to all kinds of shit that they can live a life uh you know without whatever their addiction is Mm -hmm. followed by the fourth stage which is early recovery and the fifth stage which is active recovery and then maintenance so here's the question, man. What stage does Chris get to? I think that he, I think he gets to, I think he gets to two. All right. There is, there, there is a, a particular conversation where he talks about, about other people, especially about Mike and about how, you know, he kind of like, I, and I think this is like right at like, maybe like one, I, I think I wrote down 124. Um, okay. because this is like the scene where they're, um, waiting out. They're like, they're like staking out their own house, right? Their own cabin right. out there. And they're yeah. waiting for the guys to guys to come back. Um, and they kind of have this, uh, they have another kind of heart to heart and he kind of comes to terms with, you know, the pain that he's probably caused Mike or something like that. I think that that is, you know, number two. And then he's pro- yeah, he's willing to at least, you know, go into treatment at the end of the movie. So he gets to probably the early stages of three. The early I think part that's, of yeah, that's yeah. about where I put him. Okay. And, and right. I, I think for the sake of the movie and everything else, like I, I, I think that's as good as you can get, you know, without completely doing away with, with the realism of the situation, you know, like mm-hmm. people don't go from full, full blown addictions to, active recovery in the span of a week. That's just not a, not a, not a thing. Right. Uh, so yeah, I think that's fair enough mm-hmm. as, uh, interesting as I think, uh, you know, coming to grips with and recovering from your addiction, there are four stages of actual addiction that come from, uh, the same source. So the first is experimentation. 
Second is regular use. The third is risky use or abuse. And then the fourth is drug dependency. So question coming off of that, is Chris really addicted? Well, I mean, of course. I mean, he's, he's, he's well, he's well, I mean, he's well into it. I mean, he's, he's it, not, it's, it's negatively affected his life in you know a whole litany of ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's, would yeah. you, would you say, would you say otherwise or? No, I don't think so. Right. He's experimented. In fact, I think he, he kind of talks at some point in time in the movie about all the different types of drugs that he has done. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is clearly habitual, right? He, he's got regular yes. dealers that come to the, you know, cabin that, you know, want to come do, to him. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, I mean, he's a, he's a regular guy. Right. And, as we get into the endless side of things, uh, they refer to him as the tweaker in the cabin. He's like, he's built a reputation around his drug use. <laughs> yes, so, yes. Yeah. Uh, clearly, he's abusing it, right? If he is getting himself in the position where his, you know, uh, drug dealers want, want to beat him up for the, you know, for, for the money that he owes them. Uh, it's done very real damage to him, uh, to his relationships. And a hundred percent, he's dependent on like the, the, what that drug is doing for him. So, mm-hmm. so, 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 what do you think that this movie, in its uh, in its form of being, I mean, it's kind of voyeuristic, right? Do you, do you th- oh do you th- hun- yeah? You know, does does that have anything to say? Do you think about yeah? About- in, in fact, there's been a lot of really interesting academic stuff done about this movie. And the, the kind of one point of unity a lot of them go to is the movie is less about specific drug addiction and, you know, that kind of stuff. And more about the relationship the audience has with the filmmaker, right? And how it is a movie purely about how audiences like to be voyeuristic. Mm, okay, I could totally, I could totally buy that. I could totally buy that. And you know, I mean, obviously, there is an there's an extreme uh, voyeuristic element about about drug dependency, right? So there's a um, obviously A and E's intervention. It's kind of one of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. There's 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 a constant kind of stream of. Um, uh, you know, like Florida man memes, like what? what's the latest thing like tweakers down in Florida have done. Um, yeah. It's it's always a news story that's going to that's going to get you some dividends. Recently, there's been this whole spate of um, of uh, um, police officers kind of recording these people that have like just like passed out, like in their cars with the kids in the back. You, yeah. I'm sure you saw that one. Right. Yeah. So so I think I think that it's very interesting that a movie about that relationship is shows us um, something that we see voyeuristically like that all the time, which is drug dependency. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and and if you'll indulge me for a minute, I think it's. it's I'll indulge you not, for way more than a minute. Oh shit! I know you have to. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. There is a found footage element to this movie. It's not a found footage movie per se, but there's a lot of like look at this video and it's a video of me, you know, like yeah, they exactly. do a lot of really interesting stuff with point of view. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that I think plays into this overarching argument that we have as a culture, not just to see and to read about drug abuse and drug dependency, but that, that it has to be real. Okay. It has to be uh, a real picture, a real family, a real person. Right. And the best illustration of this is, do you remember a book that came out maybe 15 years ago, a little less than that, called A, a Million, Million Little, little pieces? pieces? Yeah, you made me read it. You, 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 yeah. you bought it and you said, like, this is like the greatest, the greatest book ever. And I read it and uh, it was. It was amazing. But it was all totally fucking made up, right? It's all made up, yeah. And, and the thing is, and I think maybe you and I talked about this right after it came out, I was like, if you would have just said, like, this is uh, a fictional account of drug addiction or whatever. 
we might have read it and it might have been really good, but I think it would have packed way less punch, you know? Yeah, you're right. You're totally right. But but that that same thing doesn't hold true for like other things. Like for example, like if you if you say like, "Oh, you know, this is this is this is an account of a father's love for his son," right? I mean, if it's a real account or a fictional account, I mean, I don't think one gets any more weight than the other. But if you're talking about like this is a story about drug addiction, obviously the one that has that has you know that is that is real that is, yeah. is nonfiction has more weight why is that i i don't honestly know other than i, I it adds an uh, an air of authenticity that we, we expect out of this particular subgenre or this particular trope mm-hmm. and i have no idea why we demand the level of authenticity out of our drug tales that we, you know, we, we don't demand of everything else. I mean, I can, I can think of a couple of other examples of things that don't, that don't follow, that follow the same kind of model. Like I think that uh, stories about, um, about war fall into that too. Like, uh, um, I you yeah. think, yeah. yeah like, I, uh, so Saving Private Ryan, right, was was, uh, yeah, you're was right. hailed as this great, like, mm. and I don't know, I think it was based off of a true story, but nobody, like, argued that, like, it was a minute-for-minute yeah. depiction. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Man, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I have a good answer for this, other because, than well, there, there, there are great drug addiction movies that are purely fictional. The best example, I think, is Requiem... Uh, for what well, come on requiem um, for a dream yeah requiem for a dream right yeah where like that shit's horrific and terrifying and scary and i like i saw it when i was i don't know at either an early 20 something or a late teenager like right for the the time to experiment with some of that stuff and after watching what they go through, I was like, nah, I don't think I'm going to be sticking myself with a needle anytime soon. Yeah. You know, like I was like, this is awful. I'm going to, I'm going to pass on that one. I'm going to pass on that one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So uh, you're, you're right. Every once in a while one comes along. The thing that I was going to say though, is that like crime fiction, man, crime fiction is just, you know, it's, it's, it's gritty. It's realistic, especially like the procedurals, like get really down into it. But if it's not 100% real, we don't really care. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, we like, we like our drug dependency stuff to just be, like, super, super real. And even, you know, even Requiem for a Dream, too, there was, even when it came out, I remember even when it came out, it was shot like a very, like, modern movie. And it had, like, a, a lot of, like, the, um, the actors in it were, were, were pretty modern. But yet... There was a feeling that did you get the feeling that there was something a little bit like old about it? Old about Requiem for a Dream because because you know the the main thing that you know so 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 the 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 mother or the grandmother is addicted to diet the pills, pill right? the diet pills right? Yep. I mean that wasn't really a big thing in the mid to late nineties when he, that was that that there were there were some decades earlier where the diet pills thing was a big deal. Yeah, right? I mean, I think I think they'd taken out all like the super active ingredients in diet, like like the meth. I think they'd taken the, the active ingredient of meth out of diet pills by then. And then when um, when the two kids get arrested, they go to like a chain gang, and it's like I don't. There was just something that made me feel like there was like this like '60s or '70s like vibe to it. I don't know yeah. why that was. Well, I think uh, in some of the set design and costume design, it can certainly give you that vibe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's been a long time because that was one of those movies that I saw once. And I was like, I never need to fucking see this thing again. It was a great movie, but I was like, nah, I'm not I'm not going to mess with that. Huh. It came out in 2000. Yeah, I think we saw it when we were in college. Yeah, pretty sure. Hmm. And very, very, very interesting. You know, the the only other thing that I was going to throw out is that is that we talked about how kind of kind of nuanced, you know, addiction can be. And one of the things that I I heard I I I don't know where I heard this from. I think it was. Do you know Russell Brand? Yeah, I know Russell Brand. Yeah. Okay. 
you, you good you good buddies you like drink beers together and stuff fuck yeah me and, and russ go way back what yeah you call him russ yeah okay so um he i think i think it was in the run-up to a book he'd written or something i listened to him on a podcast might have been the new yorker podcast probably not though anyways he had this description of addiction that i just thought made so much like made so much more sense than anything else i'd ever heard anything that like you get out of requiem for a dream anything that you like it was way better than anything you get out of like a psa or anything like that he said like look what people who are not addicts don't understand is that there are there there are benefits to being a drug addict and he put the benefit as this he said you can take every thing in your life you can take every emotion you have all your hopes all your fears all your loves all your hates you can take all of that that is normally wrapped up in people the people around you right and people are not very stable right people do things that you don't want them to do and people hurt you and people do this and people do that but you can take everything you can take your everything and you can put it into a physical object object that can be acquired and used and there is a power in that. And I thought, wow, that is like, that is amazing. Because I don't think that's what people get into it for, but I think that's what keeps them in it. Right? Sure. So. Well, and if you think about the lives of, you know, addicts, especially after they've severed all their relationships, there's very little they have left. Right? They just have the drug. Yeah. I mean, in, 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 from a, from one perspective, that is, and I think, in fact, um, I think Chris makes this point. He's like, I like this, right? This is how I want to die. Just let me choose how I want to die, right? He's like, this has been like four days, you know, that I was made this way or whatever. Let's just, you know, just just let me have this and then we can all go our separate ways. I don't know. I mean, it's a... It's it's obviously not 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 a healthy way of, of looking at, it, but I think it's I think it's something that actually happens. So, well, and if we were to ab- adopt a, a Nietzschean or a Lagadian view of the world, then dying, I don't know, doing drugs and feeling good, there are probably worse ways to die, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably. That's pretty, pretty dark and pretty bleak, but it is. Come it, on, yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty dark and pretty bleak. But I mean, if you could, you know, the, the idea that you can take, you can take everything you've ever wanted and just put it into a physical commodity, right? And it doesn't have to be an idea. It doesn't have to be a thing that's out there. It's an actual, like something that you can acquire. I think, I mean, that's like so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's attainable. And it's, it's attainable. Like. Every day, some days are easier to get it than others. You know, some days you have to do terrible things to get it or whatever, but you can get it in the end, you know. I don't know. I don't know. I think I think I think those kind of things are difficult, very difficult to deal with in, in fiction. I think that's why we don't get a lot of it. Okay. I buy that. I think yeah. it seems perfectly reasonable. Yeah. And that's all I ever want to be is just perfectly reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something we don't say about you very often, but hey, I think uh, in this particular case, you're uh, you're spot on. So, hey, let's, let's talk about Endless, because I okay. think I think if you followed us for this long, you've probably watched hopefully both of these movies because they're both fantastic. Oh, they are but, fantastic movies. But I just watched the Endless recently to get ready for this podcast. And it had no been shit. On, you hadn't seen it yet, dude. It had been on my um, on my radar for a long time. I know you loved it. You saw it like at a film festival or something. It had just, I saw it at Tapgate. It was there for like a day. It was awesome. But go ahead. And and I was just, I just hadn't gotten to it yet. And I thought, oh, you know, I mean, I've seen Resolution. I'll go back and I'll rewatch Resolution, and then and then I'll watch I'll watch Endless too because it was made by the same guys. I didn't know that. Spoiler alert. Spoil, spoil, spoil. If you haven't seen the Endless, you get you get just watch it like me. Just watch Resolution and then go watch it. Or if you've seen Resolution, then just go watch Endless because it is. It's got a tie-in, and I didn't know that, and it was fantastic. Oh, yeah? Did you grin? Yeah. Man, my smile was so big. I was like, fuck yes, I am here for this. Because it was the house. I was like, that's the exact same house. These guys, these 
poor ass motherfuckers had to reuse that same house and i was like oh they did not it is the it is the yep. same house it is wow. the same house yep. love it loved yep. it yep and it, it it brings everything home and in the greater conversation about addiction i think is a perfect kind of capstone right yeah, because most definitely uh yeah, what you see, I think, a lot in cases of addiction are people that get into these loops and these cycles, and it's incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to break out of them. So, yeah. it, it, in fact, uh, at one point, Mike is talking to, uh, you know, the, the brother in uh, The Endless, mm-hmm. who is either Benson or Moorhead. And I, don't, I don't remember which, which one it, is which, but whatever. Uh, he says, uh, albeit probably about the entity and not necessarily about addiction, but it could be either one. Don't give it control because once, uh, once you do, it will control you forever. And he, like, he is talking about this thing that is controlling their loop, controlling their cycle. Mm. Right. But, Certainly esoterically, he is talking about uh, his buddy's drug addiction, you know, like that's it's yeah. pre- it's pretty freaking good. Yeah, man. no, no. I mean, and I think I think that maybe you can even you can even maybe look at it as like they are in the active recovery and maintenance mode in that movie in, in the endless. Right. That they have kind of gotten maybe not drug use wise because it's kind of it, it, because he. I guess becomes a drug addict every time they do the cycle over again or whatever. I mean, he's back to where he was at, but that they are kind of in the active recovery and maintenance mode um, for whatever relationship they have with this monster. Right. Yeah. That they, that they, they have found some ways to cope and they are looking for more ways to cope and they are not giving up and they are actively um, trying to, trying to get their destiny. But at the same time, they are still stuck in this loop where they kind of have to keep reliving the same thing over and over and over again. Um, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Well, ah. and, and arguably their relationship too, right? It's about <laughs> maintenance and recovery of that relationship. And you really get a sense of in the endless, how they have reclaimed that relationship, which is, I mean, simultaneously really great and really awesome and incredibly cool. But once you're armed with the knowledge that they are fucked, (laughs) you know, like they're never getting out of this loop is also incredibly sad and incredibly dark, I think. Well, of of course. And and when, when you realize that the, you know, that the wife is at the commune and I mean, Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty rough. You you had something you wanted to say about uh, some of the interviews that you watched. Uh, you you watched like ten hours of interviews with uh, Benson and Moorhead to get ready for this. Yeah, yeah. I here's what I can tell you about both of those dudes. There are a couple of interviews on YouTube that are well worth your time, and we'll certainly link to them. But like, they are regular people, which I think is really cool. They both got a start as interns for Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott's production company. And they went out and made movies. They didn't have money. They didn't get financial backers. In fact, they went out and made the endless in, in a very similar way that they made uh, resolution in that it was a mostly self-financed, it was done on their dime and on their time. Hence, why the two main characters in the Endless are uh, the you know the two the two yeah. directors. So, mm-hmm. like, I, I, what I was struck by was just how devoted they were to one another and their buddies. They're like they they believe in one another and they both have strengths and you know weaknesses, but also they believed in making art and not waiting for the opportunity to make art. So my, my plea here to all of my students, as I say on a pretty regular basis is stop waiting, go out and film something, you know, like go out and make a movie, go out and write a screenplay, go out and and do the things that you've been waiting uh, to do because these guys, uh, you know, they had some opportunity, but uh, a lot of it was just like, let's go make this really fucking cool movie. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and obviously, I mean, they, they there is a there is they they have a master. Uh, they're they, they've been been able to master the art, right? Also, and and I think that you can tell, you know, a a modestly budgeted movie. Um, when you know about about filmmaking, you can pull off some really cool stuff without you know a huge budget, right? And I think that they did it in 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 both of them, especially in the endless. I mean, I think there's some pretty good, you know. Oh yeah, well they, they um, in the interview that they do, it's at a film festival. Um, the guy that curates Shutter is actually the moderator of that one. They talk about how they pulled they they pulled off the tug of war scene in the endless. Mm-hmm. And essentially they wrapped the rope around a tree and had like, you know, a key grip or somebody that was there holding the rope. And in uh, post-production, I think it's Benson could be Moorhead. I don't remember which is the more um, special effects oriented of the group. And he digitally replaced like the woods that were there, the trees that were there with this darkness and to cover up any kind of blemishes that he had, he replaced it with that big ass moon. And it is just, it's, it's just a great freaking scene because it looks like it is nothing, you know, like it, Mm -hmm. it looks like you're playing tug of war with, you know, this Lovecraftian, yeah, I don't know, God, you know, like yeah. this this being thing out of space and time, yeah. Which one of the things the endless does incredibly well is give us that sense of how long that being has been there by allowing us to look at all those statues, yeah, all those depictions of what it's like. That, that I probably the strongest part of the movie is looking at that stuff, and that was all done with miniatures. Uh, that, really? Yeah. That they huh. crafted and then they shot to look like, you know, um, these gigantic monoliths. But it's it's just these tiny miniatures that they filmed. It's so cool, man. Wow. Huh. Very cool. You know who didn't think it was cool? Oh, fuck this guy. <laughs> why do we uh, why do we allow this kid every day to bring us down? He doesn't he doesn't bring me down. Uh, I like bring. He brings me down. Yeah, of yeah. course you do. Of course you do. Fine. Mm-hmm. You that's bonded with the uh, trouble kid in the back. Um, yeah. Do you do you want to read this kid's uh, movie report or is it my turn? I think I think it's uh, I think it's probably probably my turn. Yeah, okay. it's my turn. You you found this one. All right. What? Okay. Uh, this doesn't even make sense. Anonymous Amazon user writes must have wrote this movie. Half the scenes were written in a AA preface of this one time. The other half is as funny as Don Rickles giving a speech addressing the UN General Assembly. I actually thought there was some, <laughs> there was some great stuff in this movie that was funny, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think the relationship between the two of them is 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 great and feels genuine. And like this is uh, you feel the entire time that uh, you know your boy, the drug addict, you know, that, that Chris is funny, that he's probably a really funny dude. And it sucks that he's addicted to drugs, but go ahead. I feel guilty. I actually wasted my time watching this instead of letting myself slip into a coma. (laughs) I don't know what you people are smoking, but this movie sucked. Well, I'm not smoking anything here, but no, uh, it never starts until it ends. Oh man. That is like so profound. Oh, I'm going to, I'm gonna start my own meme. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get a picture of like you know, the ocean and the, the the sun peeking through some clouds, and all over top of it, it's gonna say in Comic Sans, "It never starts until it ends." I love and in, that. And yeah, and in the difficult times, he carried you. <laughs> he carried me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, that'd be perfect. The ending was the best part because it was over. Yeah, we've heard <laughs> that. Like. I, I could finally get to refill my empty glass of wine. Mm. <laughs> also, since when is a freaking rental eight bucks? Wow. I mean, like, I hate to agree with this guy, but if it really cost him eight bucks to rent this movie, come on, Amazon. You got to do better than that. Like eight dollars? Get the fuck eight out bucks. of here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were on a, maybe they just come back from like, 
you know, a film festival and they just released it and it was like a big deal and, you know, but yeah, eight bucks is a lot for That's a rental. way too much. Yeah. Okay. Hey, uh, before we end this discussion, all right. All right. It is absolutely important, uh, like imperative that you listen to my favorite, uh, like drug free America ad. And it was all over the airways when I was like 11 years old and it's the go meth ad. So we're going to listen to that right now. And I want you to tell me what you think. All right. Well, I mean, it's a PSA, so we'll just let yeah. everybody listen to it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that they can't sue us because, oh, no, the government can't, sh- can't sue us because they're shut down. Awesome. So sweet, sweet. Here's, here's Umeth. Get me busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this centered? Oh, man. Mm, I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I've got the cleanest house on the street. Oh, man. Mm, get these hairs all out of my face. Get these bugs all out of my place. One more hit. No time to waste. Oh, man. Mm, okay. You should all go watch that. Also, you heard it, and you may think it is more jovial than it is. It is the most fucking terrifying thing that I like. My eight, nine, ten, eleven, however old I was when it was uh, when it came out. To this day, it haunts my dreams. It is so scary. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. But wow. also, uh, the reason why I never tried that drug because I didn't want to like pick at my face until it uh, oozed, and then pick the scabs off of it. Also. Or like clean, clean the bathroom. Yeah, like cleaning the bathroom over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. That's not not my bag. Yeah, you know, I think I think another kind of just a couple other interesting things to kind of kind of leave you about addiction. One of the things that's really struck me is um, how how many people will recount that like they like used a bunch of drugs and like never really like clicked with one and then one clicked with them. Right? Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, totally. Yeah, like like there's 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 a ton of a ton of ton of people that I've read, you know, they say like, "Oh, you know, like I I did like heroin and like I didn't like it. It was like terrible. I had this terrible experience or whatever whatever." Um, but then I tried this other drug and I, that was that was the one for me or whatever. It's kind of I don't know, it's, it's it's I wonder I wonder what makes some people more um, more like receptive to one over the other. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff that's been written about drug use in general. Uh, I, I, I will tell you, I don't know if I have read a ton. I've read a lot in like in college because everybody does in college uh, about like psychedelic drugs and you know, that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But a lot of that stuff is more like maybe institutional or medicinal, you know, like I, I was reading online the other day that they are now using um, psilocybin to treat depression, which they haven't done in years and years and years, but hmm. that the, they have found some positive results from, from that. So I don't know. Probably well, I, 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 I don't think any of those hallucinogens have ever been, been shown to be like habit forming, but. Right. I, I think it's a brain chemistry thing. So if you're you're predetermined to really like that boost of serotonin that heroin gives you, then maybe that's going to you're going to be chasing the dragon. But if you're more of the I don't know, whatever fucking I hear hor- Yeah. Whatever hormone cocaine, you know, produces dopamine, then, dopamine. Mm-hmm. Maybe if your brain really loves that dopamine, then, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to be. You fucking snorting coke off of uh, your bathroom sink or whatever. Yeah, man. This has been an interesting conversation for sure, though. Uh, we, If you are remotely interested in looking at drug use in horror movies, uh, a couple of other places that you should go to check out some stuff. Dread Central has um, a little article called Feeding the Beast Addiction in Horror Films that kind of touches on a real cursory glance at drug use in horror films and the bloodshed has the top 10 drug horror movies of all time. I would argue neither article is 
super comprehensive. But if this is kind of your jam, then check those two out. Yeah, you know the the more the the more that, that I go through and I read about all these you know kind of different different movies that it had that it used drugs and stuff that it, it used it as a maybe train spotting. Yeah, maybe I think maybe train spotting kind of kind of kind of hits the the note for uh, a realistic portrayal of addiction. But then again, I don't really know because I'm not because I'm not an addict. So what I know. Yep. Yeah. Well, very good. All I'll right, Michael. Not, Okay, so next week we're going to have a very special guest. What are we going to be talking about? Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, The Green Room, uh, Antifa, and uh, your buddy. Jarrah Hamatashin. Awesome. Yep. yep. Very cool. He's going to be on next week, so make sure you check out. He's got one of our favorite books of uh, 2018, so we are super psyched to have Jr. on to talk about uh, The Green Room and fascism, anti-fascism, punk rock, whatever else we can pull out of uh, the fantastic horror movie that is The Green Room. So, Muy interesante. Until yep. then. Class dismissed. Class dismissed.